And welcome to the Life Support Live podcast, the weekly podcast that explores how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. As a famous starship captain once said, and as another famous starship captain also once said, the one with the new series on the way, wherever our mission takes us, We'll try to have a little fun along the way. Always, always. That's the goal. Hi, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Ali Matu. And I'm Dr. Trek, Larry Nimacek. One of us is a real doctor. And we'll leave it to you to decide who that is. <laughs> hey, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we record this show live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook with our audience joining in and rebroadcast here as a podcast. If you'd like to join us live, check out the links in the show notes. And now, let's engage with our regularly scheduled program, Already in Progress. On this week, we are talking about making a big change in your life. Um, and we want to hear from you. What episode of Star Trek do you think best shows a character making a big change in their life? Maybe for better, maybe for worse. We're gonna try to figure. We're gonna try to focus on the better stuff. But before we get to that, uh, neutral in Star Trek. So (laughs) unless unless you're in the neutral zone and you don't want to be there, it's not very neutral out there. Um, Nothing neutral about the neutral zone. (laughs) No, no, there's not. Um, There's nothing neutral about the neutral zone. There's there's a lot there's aren't uh, 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 I've already tried to keep up with the chat. There's a lot of going on. Uh, everybody because it's a historic show today. We're having our first guest on later. Yes, so. yes. Well, I'm also nervous because apparently this is the red shirt edition of Life Support Live. Larry, I'm not sure if we are in the TOS or the motion picture or the next generation timeline. That's going to have a big impact on how I'm feeling about a red shirt. So, you know, timelines are uh, a little uh, wibbly wobbly, um, especially if you have uh, anyone who might be sending you into different times in the time <laughs> zone. Um, we do have a special guest. Larry, um, tell us about our special guest who's going to be joining us in just under an hour. Yeah. So at the top of the hour, guys, and don't worry, we're going to have a full life support live format today but joining us at the top of the hour uh with all the uh if all the eps systems are in line um is the (laughs) author of one of the there's a couple of uh great books that are out this holiday there's several great books out this holiday one of them is now these are the only two good books larry this is (laughs) is it (laughs) amazingly one person wrote both no (laughs) this is uh mr spock's little book of mindfulness by Glenn Dakin, who's going to join us hopefully at the top of the hour. And uh, this is a wonderful book. And as I will tell him, this was way more than I was expecting. But since this was a book about mindfulness, I thought it would be perfect for um, perfect for us today. And uh, Doctor Ali to turn his professional chops loose on it. But no, it's a it's a. I thought it was going to be a collection of Spock sayings, and it is. But it's a lot more, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of like we try to do here. There's a lot of good uh, help and good insight. But an awful lot of, of Trek twinkle of the eye in it too. So even yeah, for Vulcans. It, yeah, it's um it's it's a lovely book. Um I had the joy of reading it this week and it's uh it's a great book for twenty twenty. So uh we have the author of uh Spock's Glenn uh, Bacon, if I didn't say yes. his name. <laughs> Mr. Spock's Little Book of Mindfulness, How to Survive in an Illogical World, um by Glenn Dakin. I don't think it could be any more illogical than it is right now, and so the, uh, I'm very excited to have that. The other title that he has out right now is Star Trek Cocktails, A Stellar Compendium, and talk about mental health. Well, okay, 
in moderation. Whatever, whatever spectrum of uh, of coping you'd like to take, uh, Glenn's got it covered. So we're gonna be in we're gonna be talking about that in um, in a little bit um, at the top of the hour. And until then, we have a lot to discuss. So we, um, as we have been doing with lower decks and now Star Trek Discovery, we we're taking this week's episode and having that inspire. A larger conversation about Star Trek and mental health. This week's episode is um, inspired by Star Trek Discovery's Terra Firma Part 2. Now, Larry, without getting into big spoilers here, um, quick impressions of uh, of Terra Firma Part 2. No spoilers? I know. Uh, it's, really, it's really hard with this week. <laughs> well, Terra Firma, the two-parter, and especially Part 2... Uh, seems to be serving two masters <laughs> as far as plot goes. So there's a big arc that involves uh, Georgiou making some big life decisions. Uh, also, we continue the arc of um, Discovery trying to figure out exactly what's going on with the burn and you know the pieces of the puzzle there. We get one one we're on a one piece the of uh, knowledge per week budget. Um, that's our <laughs> yeah. that's our diet. We get one crumb a week. So anyway, um, no, I thought it was well done. Visuals, visual effects are done. And yes, folks, I'm holding back on even that just for spoilers. I don't know. You guys can argue it out in chat yeah. if we're being overly protective here or not. But yeah, yeah, um, I don't yeah. know what this is. This is just Giorgio doing something. Just Giorgio and Burnham there with yeah. Burnham with they're the just dread. hanging out. So. Nothing, nothing unusual or or amazing that we haven't seen in decades. But it's it's just you know. They're just but doing she's, thing. she's got that major life choice look in her eye there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um that and that's what we kind of want to talk about. So um <laughs> this this week and last week's episode Terraformer Part 1 and 2 gave me a lot of tapestry vibes. I know it's a cliche at this point how much Larry and I like to talk about uh tapestry from Next Generation. Yeah, but this this episode is really about Giorgio revisiting decisions in her past and realizing how much she has changed and um it, this episode involves her making a big change so that got larry and i thinking how can we how can we focus on that theme because that that is a theme we haven't directly taken mm -hmm. on before and larry there's a lot a lot a lot in the canon for us to explore so let's let's open that up um Let's open up the uh, briefing room here. Yeah, and the briefing room, guys, we do have a structure here. <laughs> we have the briefing room. We're going to geek out on examples from Trek. Then Ali has his uh, counselor's log, and he'll have an away mission of ideas, things you can take with you. The counselor's log is looking at them through that lens. Along the way, I'll throw in my K3 factor of deep diving some pure Star Trek background goodness under our theme today. But yeah, I um and here's the here's the thing as I started to think about this, the idea today of making major life change, up until the streaming era here, the last couple of years, Star Trek has famously been standalone shows, and the further back in time you go, TV was all about, oh my god, don't change the characters unless mm -hmm. they suddenly turn up missing at the new season because they all I ever Where's Adam? <laughs> oh, he ran into town for supplies. And we never saw him again. I'm 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 a kid on Bonanza here. But yeah, uh, TV was not very realistic about reflecting some of those yes. uh, life situations. So we've at least gotten a little more realistic about letting characters have major arcs. 
Yeah, and a big part of that was designing a show where people can jump in and out. Um, you don't have to have seen the whole back catalog in order to understand what is happening here. And that's changed over time. Or telling um, the local stations how, what order to run the syndicated strip showing every day after right. school. Whatever, right. <laughs> but even with that in mind, going back to some of our original characters and, and moments, there are... Um, there's some pretty big changes that, that that these characters go through. Larry, you and I both ended up picking examples from the original series cast that take place in the movie. I was um, going to say, see, there you go. Move, they, nothing really changed until you got to a movie every two yeah. years and you needed a big bang. You know, um, and boy, did they give us some big bangs. Um, mm-hmm. Starting with the motion picture, Larry, you you had a good one for... Um, for speaking of Spock, you had a good one for well, uh, for the motion yeah. picture. Yeah, well, it's like a token. I mean, some of these I feel like, well, it's a token moment, but no, it's Spock embracing emotion uh, after his encounter with V'ger and the tear. I kept trying to find the scene with the single tear, and I couldn't find it. It was like, wait a minute, did, am I watching <laughs> the, this? Is this a tearless edition I'm looking at? It was the main theatrical, but uh, no, this simple feeling is the scene, and. Um, and that's a big moment there, yeah. Uh, I, I also think of Kirk realizing uh, Star Trek II. We've used it before for other themes, but Kirk realizing that taking the Admiral's seat was not the same thing as having a captain's seat. And McCoy's advice, you know, a major life change that he had to get back to. So often. I, I want to just ask you about Spock just for a moment. Oh, okay. Why... Why? I mean, because Spock is a big it's deal. Spock. There we go. And, and, and that's the other reason why. So... Um, so not only does he embrace emotions at the end of motion picture, but he's he's debating with this during the the story, right? Like he mm-hmm. he doesn't he's debating whether or not to undergo colonar, if I remember correctly, earlier at in the motion movie. picture, yes. Yeah, in the motion picture. So why do you think this is that he does decide to embrace this um, uh, embraces emotions not completely go down the Vulcan path and and then I've got a part two to that question which I'll save for after you answer part one all right well we've got other people here in the room that want to ask questions too no <laughs> no no um he's just had the encounter with V'ger and he says V'ger is cold and barren it's information only and it's seeking you know is this all there is it's the old age-old question um and he's just had that. And, you know, all through the series, McCoy would always – it, it's a 60s point of view. But McCoy would always say, oh, you're like a walking computer and that whole thing. And he, and he – and, of course, that's his that's his uh, Vulcan culture. That's his upbringing. And, yeah, he was he was undergoing the process to purge all emotion when V'ger showed up. So he's he's not – you know, to, to Spock with his excellent mental health, even though he's in a – I don't want to say a crisis state, but he's in a a major life change event here. He feels like he's just had, like we do what, I don't, it's the good kind of trauma. I mean, I guess it could have been deadly trauma, but it was the good kind of trauma where you really, you know, it's the life. I saw my life flash before my eyes, or I saw everybody else's life flash before my eyes. Yeah. I, and, I, and he's not going to go whole hog. He's not going to come up and bounce out as the wacky Vulcan here all of a sudden. He's embracing his Vulcan heritage. But he just sees there's more, and he goes to the nth degree without without fracturing and totally giving up on his culture, his ways, his life until then. So it was a but healthy. not the nth degree. That's a different story. 
<laughs> smart. Very smart. Thank okay. you. Um, as as the comments section are saying, I'm I'm here every week, folks. Um, I'm here for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really great point, Larry. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that he has seen what pure logic does and mm-hmm. how uh, the limits of pure logic. I I, I think we we have to remember that. Vulcans do experience emotion. They just do not act on it in the way that humans do. They do not express it the way humans do. And they mm-hmm. have a very sophisticated way of meditating on managing their emotions. And I think this is, Spock has always had a hard time with that. And part of it might be because of his human identity. Part of it might be because of this idea of stereotype threat that he doesn't want to be seen as an emotional Vulcan because of his human side, because he's been bullied for all of this sort of stuff. But, um, it's, it's wonderful to see Spock go through this evolution in the motion picture. And as I will defend Star Trek Into Darkness, I will always defend the motion picture. Um, I think the motion picture has some beautiful moments in it. Um, I know it, 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 it's slow by <laughs> modern standards and, and especially it's 2001 ing. It's not Star Wars ing. Well, even, yeah, 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 exactly. It's much more of a 2001 than it is, um, a new hope. Uh, <laughs> But it, it's got some beautiful moments in it. And, uh, and then you mentioned Kirk. Um, and that was an example I wanted to talk about where a big fundamental change we see is Kirk's relationship to Klingons. And we know what that relationship was in the original series. Um, it was very adversarial. It was not friendly. <laughs> they killed his son. <laughs> Those Klingon bastards. And, and they killed his son. So in the motion picture series, we see Kirk's son. We see his relationship with his son evolve. We see the death of his son at the hands of Klingons. And then we see in Star Trek VI, you know, the Jim, they're dying. Let them die. Um, and we see the journey to, to peace. So let's, let's talk about that for a moment. This is a, our episode is called, there it is, uh, making a big change. This is a massive change, as much as it is for Spock mm-hmm. to embrace emotions. So, what's going on here with Kirk? Why does he, why does he overcome all of the prejudice he has towards Klingons and find a way to make peace? Why does? Well, he's he's. He why? Has... Why, Leary? Why? You're just full of questions today. No, it's. <laughs> He's enough of a died in the wo- I mean, they talk about cold warriors, and it was literally a cold warrior, you know, motif. It's back in that mindset, which a lot of people have, you know, a lot of our younger fans aren't carrying that mindset around these days. But he's enough of a steeped in Starfleet admiral flag level officer to know. I mean, it's a battle for him, but he does overcome it to know the strategic value here. And then he's got McCoy, you know, the good parrot on his shoulder too, to um, to know that this is an opening. If if nothing else, he can put it in the mental box of this is a strategic opening that we have to take. And and then again, he's he's enough of a historian to know. Do we really want? If he really loves Abraham Lincoln, he knows what happened when Lincoln's force for good was removed from the equation after the Civil War, and what you know, it, Marshall Plan, 
all that. If you actually let a society that was huge totally collapse, you're asking for trouble later on. So yeah. if nothing yeah. else, it's totally, you know, it's totally transactional here that it's in their best interest to have the Klingons not fall apart. But that's yeah, that's totally weighing on his emotion here of ha 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 ha. You know, on a dance on their grave. But there's a lot of graves and a lot of others who are still surviving, and that's not going to be a good yeah, thing for. I I, I love that states. explanation um, because it ties in very nicely. Can you say it again? Yeah, yeah. Please, okay. please, let me get my recorder out. So uh, my Star Trek Generations recorder, very futuristic uh, recorder out. Um, I I, 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 <laughs> I love that. Um, I love that explanation because it ties to two other things that can be related to uh, making a big change. You're we talk about with Spock this critical moment where he learns this uh, this very important lesson of of the path he doesn't want to go down. Here with Kirk, uh, it is very much related to I think two things. One is um, the environment has completely changed, and his primary mission is to protect the Federation, um, is to serve Starfleet, and he knows he he learns by the, over the course of the movie that. It would be very bad for the Federation to let the Klingons um, let um, them die. To let them die, yeah, yeah. It, it would be a massive destabilizing um, force on uh, on the whole quadrant, um, mm. uh, on the Alpha and Beta quadrant, right? I was going to say <laughs> on both. Um, I, I've I've read Star Trek cartography. <laughs> um, I know I should be referring to both quadrants. The other thing. He's also learned, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> right on cue, Larry. Um, the other thing I think Kirk has learned is, um, Revenge is Hollow. He, mm-hmm. he remember, he's seen Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. He However, knows what sir, It's hollow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he knows yeah. what might happen if he goes down that path and that that is not a path that he wants to go down. So I, um, that is uh that is a big change that happens and and a change uh, definitely for the better. Um there's uh, there's a lot of examples that are coming in the chat that I, I want to say we've had to. we've been overflowing on the chat guys. And I I should say since we're going to have Glenn with us today, we may be dipping into the chat a little less than normal guys, so bear with us. We'll, we're and, still looking. But yeah. we'll we'll what we miss we'll get on the tail end. So I want to mm-hmm. go through some of these examples that are coming up in the chat. Um I do want to say Tim had a comment about Star Trek Discovery pulling a big move this week, and then he said uh, the Mandalorian said, "Hold my blue milk," and they they had a big moment. Yes, uh, definitely. Um, uh, but Johnny mentions lessons <laughs> from TNG. I am mm-hmm. blanking on what ep- what episode that is, Larry. That's what? that's that's Picard's girlfriend playing music in the in the Jeffrey. Oh yeah. Oh. We we've we haven't talked about that episode in a long time, but that's mm-hmm. that's a that's a big one. Um mm-hmm. I I was gonna when I was looking at TNG episodes, they were I don't know why, Larry, there were almost always Picard episodes that were coming up for me. So when you I don't know I don't when know. When you what get that paid means. the big bucks, you get paid the big scripts. So yeah. yeah, yeah, whether it's tapestry or whether it's the very end of all good things and Picard joining the poker game, or then his own TV show. Um, or it's family and what to do after actual yes. physical trauma. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, absolutely. We can we can talk about Picard all day here. Well, um, you could go home again. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Jared mentions Wesley and uh, and Roe on TNG. Roe, I had Roe. Yes. Yeah, tell me about Roe, Larry. You you wanted to talk about Roe. No, I mean, and you know what? And they talked about Roe. I'm like, okay, well, there's Tom Paris. There's Mariner on Lower Decks. It's people who have had a troubled life, even in the perfect future. Uh, people who have had troubled lives, and she's coming from her Bajoran refugee background. And somewhere along the way, people make a difference in their life. Sometimes it's an external factor that helps you make a cho- change in life. Yeah. But starting with Guinan, and then eventually Picard, no thanks to Riker, though, um, that she's able to make it. Basically, it's like, come over to the light. It's like, do you want to be... You know, always bumping heads with everybody in life because of your, you know, your angry background, basically. You acting out about the, the, the crap of your life, or do you want to find a path to some, some stability, some solace, some calmness? You know, and that's a lot of work, too. It's a lot, it's, it's a lot like, uh, I don't know, what, addiction recovery? So, you know, some things where I don't think she didn't have a chemical variable in her equation, but it's like you, it's whatever the factors are that have to align for you to make this big change. Sometimes it's not just the thing. Well, here's my yes list and my no list, and I'm going to compare and contrast them. Sometimes it's not that clinical. So, yeah. you know, I, I think that's, for both that's why, characters, yeah, that's why it's big for Roe. She's overcoming her lifetime of of abuse and trauma to make a change for the better. Yeah, and I, I think she is learning, as is uh, Wesley. What are their core yeah. values? What are the things that really mean so much to them and mm-hmm. um, how how can they live a life that is consistent with the things they believe? And they both come to the conclusion that 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 means not being in Starfleet um, right. and going down a different path. And then Victoria says, Victoria, this is always our problem. All I can think of are DS9 episodes. <laughs> Pick a character, and they uh, they fulfill to, this theme. <laughs> to which I can add, I think in our modern era, pick any uh, Picard character, if not Picard episode. Yeah, that can, that also works. Uh, that's yeah. also. <laughs> I'm going to choose um, an android body over my actual one, or I'm going to let that happen. Hmm. Okay, big change. So with DS9, um, I, I wanted to pick a character we talk a little bit less about, and the character that came up for me was Rom. Um, Oh, okay. I was, you know, I was thinking about Cisco and Cisco's prejudice towards uh, the Ferengi, and then and then that got me, and how that changes because of um, Jake's relationship with Nog, but that eventually got me to Rom, and Rom starts out as just this um, server at Quartz. Yes. Yeah, and he, he kind of, <laughs> I said, once Doofus is another person's server. Um, but he kind of tinkers with the Hollow Suites, kind of keeps things going. And then he becomes He's, the He the was mind. never going for an audition. Let's just remind, remember that. Yeah. <laughs> he, he never lost he, work. He becomes the mind behind uh, the self-replicating minefield and um, plays a critical role in the defense against the Dominion. So... Mm-hmm. I think his make a big change really comes from people giving him op- opportunities and not overlooking him. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he was someone who was very much overlooked, both within his own family, but then within the culture he was living in. And he is someone who, because of the more systemic elements around him, didn't really get the opportunities that someone like maybe O'Brien did get uh, in his life. So I, I think that's... Right. It's more the environment and the limitations there that kept... And O'Brien, 
You know, I mean, it wasn't, yeah. you know, cello school, but O'Brien gave him some of those opportunities. Lita was with him and helped, yes. you know, yeah. as a bolster. So, you know, even if his brother didn't. And um, and I'm sure I, I know I'm trying to remember a specific scene, but I think Nog, you know, his son was all for it because yeah. his son yeah. was, you know, embarrassed at times by his dad. So and, and anyway. speaking of DS9, um, uh, a big moment here, Larry, yeah. that you reminded me of was uh, Cisco embracing his role as emissary as well. It was hard to find. I mean, he was like slowly sliding into it, but he did finally, you know, embrace it. Big change. I mean, a very pedestrian one was still was big was also uh, speaking of O'Brien, O'Brien deciding to leave cushy Starfleet and take himself and his family to a broken down station on the frontier. So, yeah. I mean, you know, and dragging yeah. his risking his marriage and his family to do that for yep. whatever reason, a bigger paycheck, I know, but still. We could spend so much time on DS9. Yep. Linda says Jake telling Ben he doesn't want to join Starfleet. Mm-hmm. Nog uh, declaring his intent to join Starfleet. Um, oh my gosh, so many DS9 episodes. The chasing yeah. the face of evil. Damar yes. goes through. Oh my gosh, Damar, Damar. Let's get some. Can we get some Kanar for Damar here? Damar, Damar is he is this whole thing in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the arc of this character going from um, Ducat's second in command, well, going to just this yeah, other flunky. person on the bridge. A one-line flunky. Yeah. To, yeah. You know, push the button, Damar. Yes, sir. You know. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> to uh, killing um, Zial. Oh, yeah. To becoming the liberator of Cardassia. I, I think Damar's story is one of a patriot who wants to do what he thinks is in the best interest of Cardassia, but what's in the best interest of Cardassia changes a lot. Sure. Yeah, so it's Not again the environment. Not unlike Cardassia ex- That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, oh, I'm exactly. sorry, I took the words out of your mouth there. No, no, I'll put them back in. Thank you, Lair. Thank okay. you. Um, oh, Trip! Trip transferring off of the NX-01. I completely <laughs> forgot about that. Um I was thinking a lot more of T'Pol and T'Pol's relationship well, with humanity. Yeah. Right. right, right. Um, T'Pol goes through this big arc, <laughs> but I forgot about that moment where Trip transfers off the Annex One. You could say, um, you could say also Archer going all Mal Reynolds. Oh, that was a K three I could have done. I'll save it for another time. You could say Archer giving up his goody goody. Confronted with the Zindi disaster, and and himself and his crew and Earth having to grow up, you know, get tough and and join the big boys out there uh, during the Zindi year. Yeah, how that resolved, you know, get his cojones up and take on, and not always be the Boy Scout, uh, which is a sad choice, but it's how they got through. <clears throat> and journeys in, yeah, for Wesley deciding to go off with the Traveler. Thank you, Jared. Uh, let's jump over to the Delta Quadrant. Homestead from Voyager for Neelix was, um, was another one. And if I'm remembering correctly, that's when Neelix decides to join the colony of Talaxians mm-hmm. and leave, uh, the USS Voyager. Um, we talked about that a few weeks ago, Larry. Um, I forget in what context, but I remember <laughs> us talking about it. And, um, that seemed to make a lot of sense. That this character has always sort of drifted and never really had uh, mm-hmm. a sense of stability until he came to Voyager. And I, I think he really liked that sense of family and realized that this might be his last opportunity to have that with other Talaxians. And that if he continues with Voyager, 
he's eventually going to never have that opportunity. Far, far, far from home. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, that making a big change, uh, makes, uh, a lot of sense why he did that. Um, but it's okay. They took lots of pictures yeah. to go on. Yeah. <laughs> Scott said Denise Crosby making a big change near the end of season one. Yeah. Yeah. Personally, yeah. not as a character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> and as often with big changes in life, having some regrets, maybe, and wanting it wanting it both ways. Yeah. Still on the Voyager front, we have Bellana finally uh, getting the guts to confess she's in love with Tom in Day of Honor. I, yeah. Yeah. The Bellana and Tom both finally, yeah, winding up together. And another one, it's so muddy because it was, it was kind of mishandled, which is a sad thing. But then again, the way it was handled to begin with was kind of sad. Yeah. Was, yeah. uh, uh, I started to say Kelix and Ness. Kelix and, Kelix. and Ness. Yeah. Now they, they were done much, they were handled much better than, uh, poor Neelix and Ken. No, their breakup at the end after people were like, oh, yeah. were they a couple? Yeah. <laughs> they kept saying they were a couple, which was sad, but, um, but yeah, they eventually decided to part and, and go ways. But a parting, I gave you an image for another one that I thought of later after we even talked was, and good old DS9, I'm jumping back to DS9, but that whole thing of the Bajoran ride of separation when Lita and Bashir, who was her original boyfriend oh, yeah. station, they have this, the good old Bajorans, they have a ritual for everything. And they, <laughs> they're on, they're on Risa of all places, except the fact that it, it's perfect. And they do the rite of separation yeah. and have this formally, you know, oh, no, we're all good here. Bang, we've done it. And now we can go see other people. Um, and just to take a couple more, uh, Charlotte says, uh, Enterprise, when Archer has to make the call, if this should assist the species Phlox predicts, will be extinct mm-hmm. within a couple of centuries, which, of course, is a precursor to the Prime Directive. Um that really, it, much like a Supreme Court decision, that sets up the precedent for everything that's to come later on. Um, I think he has a line in that episode, maybe one day our people will have yeah. some kind of directive that guides us, but we don't have that yet. <laughs> maybe when we've had a little more experience all being astronauts on some sort of star track. Yeah, yeah. It's it almost painful to hear it. Eh, maybe. Yeah. Oh my god. And then those oh. men will build rocket ships to take them to the stars. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Uh, preemptive, oh, Jared says preemptive strike in TNG for row. Yes. You know what? We we've got twenty minutes. Do we? I mean, we've got a lot of good examples. Yeah. But if we're going to compress the day, should we? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's jump forward to the, um, counselor's log here. And, um, I'll do, um, I'll try to kind of get through this, um, um, kind of summarize it pretty well. So, a lot of times when we think about trying to make a big change, we think about self-control, we think about motivation within ourselves. But uh, what a lot of the research has found is your environment and your identity are sometimes even more important in making a big change than any kind of internal motivation. That's why I love the example of Kirk so much that his environment, the the circumstances around his environment were changing and his identity as a Starfleet officer is something that really helped him to make that change and to overcome this prejudice he has. So one of the things when we want to make a big change in our own life, something that we have to think about is how do we, how do we get connected with the identity that we're trying to change into? 
How do we surround ourselves with people who are living that identity? And how do we change in our environment to make it easier to make that type of change? Um, Is it a cheat? If it feels like it's a it's a change you have to make, let's say it's a let's like Georgiou spoilers a little. Let's say it's a health issue and you like people have to change their diet or their lifestyle to survive. It's pretty cut and dried. Is that a cheat or is that just could that that could be just as big? You know, stop smoking. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. you know, it's um, it's added motivation it's it's urgent mm-hmm. motivation and it um it's oftentimes very emotional motivation there's a great analogy i like from um from a book called i think it's called switch by the heath brothers one's a writer one's a psychologist and they talk about when you're trying to change behavior um the metaphor is an a writer an elephant and a path so the writer is like you and me. That represents your your intellect, and you're sitting on top of an elephant. You can have the best plan, but the elephant represents your emotions. If you don't feel anything about it, you're not moving. And an elephant is very powerful once it's moving, but if it doesn't want to move, it doesn't move. So you have it has to emotionally resonate with you. So if a doctor tells you, I, I mean, um. Uh, the Leonard Nimoy documentary made by Julie Nimoy is, is very clear about that, that his motivations to change his health after he was diagnosed with COPD and to stop smoking, it, it, those two things came together. So if someone tells you, you need to stop doing this, otherwise you might die. Well, that gets the elephant powerfully motivated to make some change. And so what the writer can do, the writer can make a path that guides the elephant along, but the writer alone, you can't just like, brute intellect yourself into making change so these things have to come together um there's a great book which i uh, do not have here um <laughs> it's in my other room called atomic habits you don't have it, another room but it's fine to pretend <laughs> yeah no this is all this is it uh this is what you see is what you get if anyone's interested in this topic um check out atomic habits it is the best book i've seen on this topic i'm going to talk more about how to do this in just a moment with the counselor uh with the away mission but with that larry i want to turn it over to you for uh this week's uh, k3 Oh, yeah. Well, you know, here's where we take K3 is the little the only indicator we have of mental health mentioned in the original series there on the BioBed monitor. Uh, That's where the name comes from for some of you more recent. I haven't talked about that in a while, but yeah. So here's where we do a deep dive on my end of things into Trekland, but still under the uh, in the real world of Star Trek, the production side of things uh, under each week's theme. And, you know, change is the essential nature of all things. Yes, that's in here, too. Um, as a famous Vulcan once said, but uh, that happens with productions, too. We can all sit and recite, you know, how the ser- the different series changed, how the different series in turn uh, changed what we think of as Star Trek. And in case you, in case you hadn't noticed, Dr. Ali, that's that's been happening a lot in the last couple of years, too. I've, I've, I've but, uh, yeah, I've noticed this. <laughs> but one of the one of the times is this as a parallel to this thinking of of individuals and also as the series not as a franchise piece but as a company as in a company of actors and a company like you think of a theatrical company so that's a family but there's also a there's also a cohesiveness that has a top you know it has a rick berman or a gene roddenberry or alex kurtzman at the top you know as a body and one of the times that the entire body 
made a change without with some success both ways also some you know uh, uh, ultimately maybe not enough change was in my own memory my own witnessing was the change from the success of you know what what continuing a franchise looked like and going into spinning off the S9 meant one thing doing Voyager meant another I talk about the pendulum swings all the time and it was even bigger people have a hard time remembering this now but Making Enterprise was a huge change because for the first time they broke off just pulling out 24th century props and costumes out of the closet, you know, and altering that. Something I thought they'd never do was spend money on a new environment and a new look. And they went back with the prequel idea, which I had loved. Some people didn't like it, but I've been screaming for that for 10 years. But it wasn't just a cosmetic thing either. They were very – Rick and then Brannon – we're very concerned about getting the, the company out of the 24th century, not just the fan mindset, but the audience, but the company, too. And they really look to have a fresh breath. They, they thought the way to the franchise, the future of the franchise, and in hindsight it was, was all about what Enterprise would be. And this new look, we're going back 200 years in time to set stories. Even more, my memory is, even more than Nemesis, which is maybe part of Nemesis' problem. There was more secrecy and stress and emphasis, and the stakes were higher with Enterprise than it was even with Nemesis. Because Nemesis was like, oh, it's on autopilot. It's another TNG movie. What can go wrong? And to that end, basically, everybody had to re-audition. The cast changes, but the real people that make the show, people had to be – and there were people that were let go and changed. And I've sent you – I sent, that's what that image there is. I don't know if I kept you guessing with that yeah. one or what. So yeah, so for most of the first, for most of the, uh, so here the left side are people who had been working. Uh, Alan Sims is the top, uh, prop master. He had alternated with Joe Longo at the beginning of Next Gen, but he had been prop master in every week or at least every other week since the beginning of Next Generation. And it was, they let him go and brought in Craig Binkley, um, for Enterprise. And second row there, um, Dennis Danger Madelone <laughs> had been the stunt co coordinator since second season Next Generation through everything. Um, and they decided to make a change and brought in Vince Dedrick Jr. for Enterprise. And uh, several hairdressers along the way, but Josie Normand, who had an Emmy um, at the end of Voyager, had been there for several years, either on crew or as the head designer. And they brought in a guy named Michael Moore, to be the hair designer for uh, Enterprise. Uh, everybody, Mike, Mike Westmore had to go and kind of re-audition, and they said, we want you to do more sketches, like try to be artsy and creative and not just come up with a thing on the run, and w the first time we see it is the first time you bring it by, and then we tweak that. It's like we really want you to do more sketching out front. The great Marvin Rush, their DP, their director of photography, was on the verge of being let, traded out and changed just to freshen things up. And he he said, I can you want me to change? I can I can change our look and our vibe. And he basically got his job back, but they were about to make a change, you know, which is a crucial slot. So anyway, that's a change when the body as a whole from Rick and Brandon on down felt the weight of that. Now, as we all know, the way history went, <laughs> maybe and Rick wanted to take a week, you know, a year off and, and recharge and the, and the yeah. network didn't, didn't want him to. So wouldn't let them. 
So that's on them. But anyway, but that's 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 like the biggest single corporate studio change, or not the studio corporate, but within the company, the Star Trek players that I've seen. And um, I don't know, nothing. You know, the the Kurtzman era here has. There have been some big changes with the roots of Discovery, but it feels like a lot of that was just the bumpy road to to getting something done. Yeah, and I mean, lots of decisions I, I, and changes are made, but this one with Enterprise was that everybody took a breath and made this huge conscious decision based on some factors, you know, all at one time in several different facets, and that to me struck me as like a huge. I think um, I think that's 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 a really good point, Larry. Um, yeah, I, I think about two thousand nine, uh, that film, and how mm-hmm. how much of a change that was in leadership, but. This change you're talking about is a bigger one uh, behind the scenes because within the existing yeah because there was this uh, this train of of creatives behind the scenes who from the next generation on to Deep Space Nine and Voyager who had been really refined a process and then that train came to an abrupt halt call it the well-oiled machine yeah yeah they, they took the whole train off put a whole new train on and then started going. In a very short period of time, and I will say that um, y- y- there's a lot of there's a lot of rockiness. Unfortunately, they kept the same locomotives, but we won't go there. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's there's a lot of bumpiness to um, to the first season of Enterprise, and um, but one thing I I really loved about Enterprise was the look. I loved um, how different it was, and I loved how it, it looked much more closer to our reality than um the original series um and mm-hmm. how it looked more like a submarine the uniforms looked more like nasa it made a lot of sense the the aesthetic made a lot mm-hmm. of sense so um all of that behind the scenes uh production I, I think they had they did a good um a really great job of that um all right larry how about a quick uh, away mission okay i'm ready i'm on the pad all right um as the comment section is organizing our first get together for us i I believe um let's jump into the away mission here so um this is something that um i think is on a lot of people's minds how do i make a big change in my life um it's something that often comes up with new year's resolutions we're not quite there yet but it's coming up. So um, I wanted to give a very quick rundown of some things that people can think about. Um, so the first off is is really to think about, is this the right time for you to make a big change? I often ask people that. Like oh, You're being rhetorical. To, um, no, oh, I'm being, okay. what's the opposite? You were looking right at me, so I didn't, I was like. Larry, let's talk that. about, let's talk about um, all these problems you have okay um so zero to ten how much do you want to make a change in your life right now i'll often ask people that and sometimes they'll say five like i i'm very ambivalent like part of me wants to make a change part of me doesn't want to make a change so then it becomes really important to, to understand the way things are right now, how are they working out for you? What's good about the situation? What's less good about the situation? You really need to understand whatever you're doing that you don't like. Like, why? It's You're doing it for a reason. It's serving some kind of purpose. So before you even want to make a change, you got to understand the status quo and where you're at. 
And then what I try to help people to do is um, it, the, the, the book Atomic Habits has a really great description of this, is get to a two-minute rule. What's a version of this change that you want to make that you can actually accomplish in two minutes? What's the smallest version of that change that you can make? So, for example, let's say you want to snack less. Well, one version of that change might be um, making all your snacks hard to access, putting them in some different location. Um, or um, if you want to reduce how much snacking you're doing, maybe it's, okay, we're going to order some smaller bowls. So you actually, um, you can still snack, but you're snacking out of a small bowl. So making the change really easy to do. And as I said before, changing the environment is much more effective than trying to muster some type of self-control and forcing yourself to make a change. If well, you putting it make... all on you, right. Yeah. Yeah, internally where you could do struck. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And locking in the change when you feel good about it so it's easier to maintain when you feel less good about it. So for this is the, like, Larry, have you ever gone to grocery shopping when you're really hungry? Like, mm-hmm. it's a disaster, right? You end up buying so much stuff that always take the junk food before you go shopping oh yeah oh yeah yeah. (laughs) well like like go go eat like eat before you go grocery shopping or drink or something yeah 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 yeah. Um, on water but that that's a big part of making change is make the change easy make it a bit more automatic and and lock in those things when your your self-control is better um you don't want to try to make those changes like later in the day when you're tired and you're hungry and all these kind of things like do these things much earlier so um the the other lesson that's really uh great from um from atomic habits I, I just love that book. I can't sing its praises more because it, it distills everything we know about behavior therapy into a very easy to read book. It's a chapter um, about change in here too. Yeah, which I want to get to. Which I want very to get nice to. Very nice of Glenn our, to include our, that on the day we have him. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. But, I want to talk about that. Um, um, but there's a there's a quote from Atomic Habits. Uh, if you want a habit to be a big part of your life, make its visual cues a big part of your life. So if you want to make a big change. <laughs> In your life, the environment around you has to completely change. And um, the last thing I'll say is making intentions is actually really important. A lot of times people want to make a change, but they haven't thought through how they would do this. Oh, I want to exercise more. I want to eat more vegetables. I want to eat less junk. But they haven't made a plan right? as to how to do this. So one thing I always tell people is um, fill in the blanks here. I will do X at Y time in Z location. If you can just flesh that out, you're already like 80% there. I, I, I will do X at Y time in Z location. Um, there's a great, there's great research about just saying out loud the intention makes you more likely to do it. And if you, if you share it with someone else, you're even more likely to do it. And part of it is because you, it, um, you have to think through how am I actually even going to apply these things. So, um, if if you don't take anything else from today, just take that. Um, if you can flesh out that intention making, then um, you're going to be already ahead of the game. But I also want to talk about um, 
about mindfulness here as we're going to be transitioning <laughs> into our discussion um, with Glenn in, in just a moment. My, my two cents about that that helped me when I, I was doing Weight Watchers when I lost yeah. my 50 pounds about eight years ago now or started it. It was a four or five year journey. But one of the things was, look, there's things I need snacks to keep going, especially at night when I'm yep. working. And then it's just a matter of like, what are the best snacks? And I basically yeah. started keeping almonds and uh, they're in season a lot of the year out here in California. But um, I love uh, Tom, uh, green grapes, seedless grapes, those, and almonds. And I do like my ice cream. I'm an Okie boy. But um, Skinny Cow, no, no advertising, I'm just saying. I had one right before the show. So it's like find the best Find the thing that's going to get you, you know, like fake it. <laughs> yeah. Candy, well, smoke candy cigarettes. I don't, I'm kidding. But, you know, find that. And if you're going to that's what that way you're still doing what you like to do. But just find the healthiest. I hate to say, you know, it's not like a health freak, but find the least damaging way to get what you want done. And least damaging is a negative. I know. But you know what I'm saying? So, like, find uh, the best alternatives for what you can do and yeah. be happy with them and do it. Yeah, I, I completely agree, Larry. It's, um, and that's what I mean by, um, when I say things like, um, make it, make the behavior change, uh, make it lazy. So, yeah. like, yes. like, make it very easy for you to do things that are, uh, more consistent with the changes you want to make. If you want to have less junk food, the best thing is to mm -hmm. not have that junk food in your home and instead have other snacks that taste good, that, um, that feel good to you. So, um, I, I want to bring in our guest here. Um, hi, Glenn. Hi, it's Glenn. Yes. Hi, Glenn. I brought you on. Um, but I booted off Larry by mistake. So let me see if I can add Larry here. I am so sorry, uh, Larry. I have done this uh, a number of times uh, to Larry. Hopefully, hopefully I can bring Larry back in. Larry, you can probably hear us, but we can't see you. And there we go. Hey, okay. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Glenn. Good to meet. Nice to meet you all. I, 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 actually, I'm getting you twice now, so... I'm, I'm getting two images of uh, Larry, so I think I've got his mirror universe evil twin as well. <laughs> <laughs> Which of these beards is the evil beard? Yeah. Oh, they're all evil. They're all evil. <laughs> so I want to... Um, got your Christmas tree. I can see you're the good one, but I've got the evil one over here. He hasn't got... He's... Uh, <laughs> they don't celebrate Christmas uh, in the evil... You know, or in the mirror universe. Um Glenn, I want to just introduce you to the Life Support Live community here. Um, Glenn, um, Glenn Dakin, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Dakin, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, is a cartoonist and a writer. He's the author of Candleman, of the Candleman book series and has contributed to a number of British comics, including Escape and Deadline. And he was part wow, of the British small press. Red, yeah. Yeah, comic seed in the 1980s. Uh, his main creations are Temptation and a semi-autobiographical script A. Glenn is, um, Glenn and the Hero Corrector, Collector creative team are based in London, England. And Glenn, you are the author of two books we were talking about today. Um, Larry, you want to hold them up well, for us? This one, we were talking about the mental health aspects of cocktails 
Okay. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's but a... also we've been we've been showing it off here too. And we're gonna give away a copy today. But uh, Mr. Spock's little book of mindfulness, Excellent. which I and he- hello, Glenn. I want to say first off. Yay, you know, boo 2020, because I'm sure that somewhere along the way, Vegas or New York Comic Con or Destination or somewhere, we would have otherwise gotten to say hello in person. But but this is, as most of the year has been, this is a great way to make up for that. So I'm glad we could we could yeah, catch up. And, and I meet. still make my family's dinner at the same time. Yeah, it's <laughs> that, silver that's lining. That's very 2020. Yeah, that's just a very 2020 thing. Um, Glenn, I'm, I'm curious. So I saw on, on Twitter you tweeted out um, an image of your books and I Am Spock, an autographed edition of I Am Spock, which is a really important book for me. I'm just curious, what's your Star Trek origin story? How did you get, yeah. how did you find yourself on this path? Because there's no way you're faking it after, I mean, you could fake, you, know, you could look up a list of drinks and come up with drinks, but I was... I want to say also that I was, this is way more than I was expecting. I was expecting a collection of Spock sayings with some stitching, you know, to stitch it together. And you gave your, your street cred away, sir, on this one. If, <laughs> if not already, uh, I'm just telling everybody that it's not just a collection of little Spock no, sayings. No, it, they're it, in there, but you've got, you, you've got a, and a twinkle to it all too. There, there's a kind of, um, it's kind of a commentary on what Mr. Spock, um, on his wisdom. And uh, it's not just uh, all the quotes you already know uh, stuck in a book, uh, interesting with an interesting font and uh, <laughs> a couple of photographs you've seen before. It's a completely new uh, project. To mm. answer the first question, uh, I kind of um, I came into Star Trek in a strange way because um, completely missed the original series when I was a kid. Uh, I think partly because my parents used to watch the other side. I think there's no um, in those days there was no even video recorders when i was a kid and um they uh i don't i just think they didn't tell me about it so a couple of my mates at school were were discussing this amazing tv show where everyone traveled around in a spaceship and had amazing adventures every week and i frankly i didn't believe them it all sounded too good to be true because uh, on the english tv show doctor who you you would get a new story every six weeks because they couldn't afford to build new sets but uh on star trek you would get a new story literally every week a new planet and i thought doesn't sound possible. Um, but uh, so I sort of was very eager to catch up with it on the on the repeats. And by then I, I was gutted to, to find out that the show had been stopped. And uh, we were forced to watch the animation, uh, which people are kind of uh, looking at again now because of Lower Decks. It was blazing a trail. And uh, some there's some interesting stuff. We've actually used quotes from the Star Trek animation mm-hmm. uh, in Mr. Spock's Book of Mindfulness because there is a very thoughtful episode um, in there where Spock goes back and meets his his childhood self, which is yeah, you know what right. So one of um, my favorite episodes of the animated series. I know. I think it's regarded as probably the best, the most interesting episode right. of that. Of that series, except for the one with the giant um, slugs <laughs> that have elephants' trunks. Um, they're, they're, you know, that's another classic, of course. But, uh, no, yeah, people, so had I, been, people have been cheating on yesteryear. In fact, it's even in the 09 movie when they weren't, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah it's pretty much the fact. 2009 movie. Um, yeah. Glenn, how did, how did this project come to be? Were, were, were you very interested in Spock? Were you very interested in mindfulness? How, how did you bring all this together? Uh, yeah, I mean, because again, this is a range. So I was curious too when you were sitting down. To, I mean, was it I, that because I want to know what your background is? Because, like I said, you betrayed much more than just 
collecting Spock sayings here. Yes, um, I used to write for a Star Trek, a Marvel UK Star Trek magazine back in the 80s when Next Gen first came along. And uh, in recent years, I've been working a lot with uh, Hero Collector, who are part of Eagle Moss, who do a lot of Star Trek spaceship models. And uh, I've been writing loads of stuff uh, for them about Batman, uh, Marvel comics. I've done loads of articles about Stanley. I could have a whole book mm. about Stanley. Um, but um, I've been working on other fantasy things and also... Uh, I'm also like a cartoonist and a humorist. I've, I've written for TV, mm-hmm. animation, comedy sketch shows and things. And uh, Ben Robinson, who is uh, one of the project managers at Eagle Moss, I'm often boring him uh, in coffee break, where, when we used to have coffee breaks, when we used to all go into the <laughs> office, uh, telling him about my latest um, exertions in the field of yoga. In, in fact, I've been to a back-breaking yoga oh. class this afternoon. I've just been... Um, doing this thing called Sukta Virasana. And if you think yoga is easy, Google that. And uh... <laughs> that sounds that sounds like something I am not interested in doing. It sounds very how, difficult. It how sounds like happen? something Bajoran or Vulcan or something. It would be a lot easier to do for somebody like Odo when you you're, with your form can kind of flow into it in, in, in various ways. Uh, you know, if, if you weren't trapped in one um, one humanoid form, it'd be a lot easier to achieve some of these things. Anyway, I was often discussing uh, yoga and arguing about Star Trek with Ben. And then one day he said, you know, we could we could get, kind of get this together in, um, into a kind of an approach on Vulcan thinking. People might be mm. people might be amused by a, 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 a Mr. Spock book of mindfulness. And we must have spent about a year talking about this over cups of coffee or, or almost as if it was a gag but there was a lot there and uh, mm. as a kid it was funny because um, while other children were out enjoying their lives I used to enjoy reading books on philosophy in fact I had the book of Tao Wisdom out mm. um, for so long from my school library um, you know that they, they thought it disappeared um, from existence I, um, <laughs> I, used, to, I used to read yeah. um the fables of Middle Eastern mystics and things when other children were reading 2000 AD. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I've been fascinated, not not just by philosophy, but by the humorous side of it. It's quite a tradition. It's quite a tradition in Middle Eastern um, thought to make philosophy funny so that people will remember it and pass the stories on. Uh, there's a character called the Mullah Nasruddin, who's a very uh, famous character. And uh, he there's one story where he's um, outside his his hut um, looking on the ground for something. And uh, somebody comes by and says, what are you looking for, uh, master? What, what are you up to? And he says, um, oh, my wife dropped uh, dropped her wedding ring uh, inside the house and we can't find it anywhere. And they say to him, well, why are you looking for it out here? He says, well, there's more light out here. And, um, <laughs> that's the a kind of way of saying that people are looking for wisdom and truth in the wrong place mm. or that people will only look where it's easy to get an answer rather than mm-hmm. looking into um, the, you know, looking at the hard place, trying to solve the actual problem. So um, there's a kind of a tradition of, of that. And there's a lovely book by a man called Idris Shah, who discusses this kind of philosophy. And I wanted the Spock book to be a bit like that with cartoons, jokes, mm-hmm. little parallels with modern life. Like what are we doing with our lives kind of thing, you know? Um, and uh, so it, it, there is more to it than just a bunch of quotes. There's a, there's philosophy or attempted 
um, quixotic um, attacks on thought, lazy modern thoughts and lazy ways of living your life, trying to shake people up a bit and, and make them laugh at the same time. Well, you I was going to say, can I just say, you do all the uh, illustration here, I, you know, so there's a whimsy. And the illustrations are beautiful. Uh, some of yeah. those I want just as a poster. Um, I mean, the front or... cover, too, you saw, you see that. But and, uh, hey, that I, style I, I, really lends itself to what you're trying to do, is what I'm saying. When I, um, when I, when we had the idea of the book, um, it was suggested that I did the um, cartoons as well. And it was when I drew this that I thought it might work. This first image of Spock in his, his kind of moody Spock. You know, this is um, a lot. Some people don't know this, but there are different versions of Spock. You know, there's animation Spock, movie Spock, um, Discovery. Mm-hmm. You know, beardy Spock, evil Spock. And I, when I drew Spock, this, yeah. I thought. I thought this is this is the Spock I like the the guy who goes wandering around in a robe, um, mm-hmm. saying baffling things like nothing unreal exists, and uh, <laughs> you know, like in talking to whales. You know, the, the voyage home Spock I think is a great um, yeah, one of yeah, my I favorite agree. versions of Spock. You, your cover heavy. Spock is the is deep nasal labial full Spock. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> hey, we Glenn, uh, have to draw something. I'm wondering um, for our audience that might not be as uh, might be more familiar with Spock than mindfulness. Uh, I'm going to ask you the impossible question of uh, how do you summarize what mindfulness even is? Um, I mean, mind- mindfulness is very simple, but it's not just being um, thoughtful. You know, some people misinterpret mindfulness as thoughtfulness. Um, being being mindful is is about learning to live in the present it's about um being non-judgmental accepting things the way they are um don't go into a situation where you meet someone who you've always hated expecting to hate them you know this might be the day that they surprise you and um so it's also it's about living in the now which is a big uh, thing with mr spock we've got a whole section of that um in the new in the recent in the second series of uh discovery you know spock says now is all we have and um there are some schools of philosophical thought you know that that say now is literally all there is you know and everything in the past is gone the future isn't here uh now is now is the only thing that we have and it's it's the tool that we have to change things if you can learn to do things actually right now the the, the world becomes your oyster you know it's when you when you start lamenting about the past or putting things off to the future that you're you're kind of a lost soul but if you um if you learn to do something right now uh you know you're actually changing reality and um that's the point that um spock makes to burnham uh in um discovery mm-hmm. where they're mm-hmm. they're thinking of playing 3d chess together as two falcon people obviously would they wouldn't just you know watch netflix or something together they would, <laughs> they would maybe have a game of 3d chess and um sort out the universe and that was what they did i think and um you know he says the it's like a game of chess you know the board is yours you mm. you know you've got to do something with that that chess board of, of of life kind of thing actually that wasn't as corny as i just said but anyway he says the board <laughs> is yours you have um there's there's many parts of this book that i um that i found myself really thinking deeply about um the there's one part i want to um specifically emphasize here I just want to read an excerpt from this because it, I thought it was the most beautiful description of Idic 
that I have uh, I have ever come across. So um, you're right. Vulcans may appear conservative and stuffy on first acquaintance, but they are in fact very open-minded compared to many races, including our own. The Vulcan belief is summed up by the term "idic," infinite diversity and infinite combinations. In simple terms, Vulcans refer to the combination of a number of things to make existence worthwhile. That's why a Vulcan will make friends with a sentient rock, shoot the breeze with a a, a glowing cloud enjoy small talk with a microbe and share a song with a whale and the vulcan will um and the vulcan will happily take the side of those things in an argument against humanity that just um it really made me stop and think about how vulcans do approach diversity in an open mind and do not make assumptions about um the value of this life um, I thought that was completely profound as it relates to Star Trek and as it relates to mindfulness. Uh, yes, I mean, it's interesting because if you, when you watch the Star Trek adventures, especially the original series, it goes through into the movies, there is a kind of line that goes through Spock and it, there is an element of comedy to it, you know, but he will quite happily, like in Devil in the Dark, sort of, mind meld with a with a moving rock but he'll find out that that rock is a mother and it's protecting its children and um it was this kind of attitude that the world needed you know because there's a lot of hard set attitudes uh in the in in people's minds about who is us and who is them and uh who is on our side and, and who isn't and um spock was used as a kind of key to you know as a way of opening people's minds and uh, very cleverly, they kind of set McCoy against him, who would be a bit more narrow-minded in a way, or a bit harder to convince. And um, I know when I was a kid, I was always rooting for Spock. You know, like, everyone else is losing their heads, but he he won't see a monster when he sees an ugly creature. He'll see uh, a life form, an interesting life form. Actually, it's quite funny. I was discussing this about the Mandalorian recently, and on the, on the there, if they see an ugly creature, they blow it up. <laughs> <laughs> but um that's that's still in their approach to life you know but um it's um it, it's a great show by the way i i absolutely enjoy the new series of the mandalorian but um it's a different approach you know in spock yeah. spock is always looking for the mind behind the um the mirage you know he mm-hmm. he'll he'll see a a light in the sky and realize that it could actually be a sentient being and um, whereas everybody else thinks uh, it's going to be the end of the world or something, he to him it could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And I, I love mm-hmm. that. I think that's a big, big message that science fiction and Gene Roddenberry were trying to put across to us uh, in the late sixties, and uh, you know that he came back with 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 Next Generation, where he he put a kind of more general open mindedness across the board into Next Generation. Uh, like Picard was a kind of enlightened, almost Spock-like figure. You know, he he reasoned things out and he was articulate. And um, so they, he kind of took it one step further in a way, whereas Spock was a bit like a voice crying in the wilderness in the original <laughs> series. But his message had kind in of got 60s. home in yeah. Next Generation. So, you know, they even have a ship's counsellor and, um, you know, they're they're much more uh, woke on uh, next gen <laughs> than they than they were uh on the original series although we mustn't underestimate the original series they're actually very open-minded uh it, you know 
to be honest, but uh, people often remember Kirk blowing things up and saying, come in peace, shoot to kill, that kind of thing. But actually, <laughs> we come in peace, shoot to kill. Shoot to kill. <laughs> uh, glad there's... um. There's two parts in the book that you mention uh, where I think there's a, a huge impact on on 2020, the pandemic and this world we live in. And um, I just want to share these with you. So you, you talk about the relationship um, between technology and and people. And there's this great quote you mentioned about um, from Spock. Computers make excellent and efficient servants, but I have no wish to serve under them. And you also uh, later on mention um, nothing unreal exists as a, as a lesson about living in the moment and controlling your focus and uh, both focus with technology as mentioned earlier, but also a focus on the here and now. I'm wondering what, um, as you went through this book, the process of writing this book and thinking about and living in Spock's mind, um, Spock's brain for so long, <laughs> what, what lesson have you taken away from Spock that has most helped you with this wild and wacky year that we've been living in now? Um, I think, I think the, uh, the thing that, that, that came across to me was that, you know, Spock wouldn't see, um, Spock wouldn't see a pandemic so much as a problem as a, as an opportunity. You know, it's an opportunity if you can't go out to, to go in, you know, it's, it's, mm. it's a chance to explore yourself, um, and mentally, uh, your spiritual side, maybe learn, learn things, be creative. I mean, people like me, uh, writers, um, you know, we've had a chance to sit down and get on with creative things and write things, which, um, we wouldn't perhaps have been able to do before. And, um, I think, you know, Spock is a great problem solver because he he looks at things as they are, not as he would want them to be. And uh, that's a mindfulness thing. You know, don't sit around thinking if only it wasn't like this. You know, it is like this. So what what can I do? And uh, I know that, you know, whereas um, Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock generally could solve any problem within about 45 minutes. Um, well, we don't. We don't get the adverts in the well, in the UK, so the the shows were about forty five minutes, I think. You know, so they would have they would have had this all done by now. McCoy would have had the hypo out, and uh, <laughs> you know, and I'd kill him, I'll cure him, Jim. You know, um, they they didn't wait for things to get approval, um, vaccines mm. to get approval on Star Trek. They just said this will either kill him or cure him, and they and they did it. But that, don't try that at home. Don't try, <laughs> don't try this at home, kid. Yeah, so uh, I think I think that's what I learned a lot from this book. Yeah. I, I was impressed with the character as a as a problem solver, uh, somebody who faces things as they actually are, and uh, takes an opportunity, turns a, um, a setback into an opportunity. Uh, actually, that sounds like what they say about Kirk in Search for Spock, to turning a, a, something into a decent chance to live. Um, so I guess I would say I learned to not to complain about the way things are and, and to try and uh, do something positive with the time. I've even been drawing more. I've been playing guitar more, um, writing books more, and I've learned how to cook lots of things I could never cook. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm, like everyone else, I'm looking forward to, to things uh, getting a bit more normal. But um, I think you can learn from you can learn from philosophy. And, but I, I'll tell you what is a very interesting piece of wisdom. Somebody once said it takes more wisdom to benefit from uh, to listen to advice than it does to give it. Mm. And um, people simply mm. cannot 
take good advice. <laughs> and, uh, it takes an awful lot of um, self-knowledge to realize that that person is you who's doing something wrong or who, who could do better. And, um, you know, I would say you've really got to you've really got to listen sometimes when people when people take the time out to you know, comment or give you some advice or tell you something. Don't just say, ah, shut up, you know. <laughs> So uh, I guess that's especially when it's not at a high decibel level, maybe (laughs) then, too. But if it's actually thoughtful, then, yeah, try try to find a way to accept it. Larry, I've got a good idea for I I think it might be a good idea for our giveaway. Um, Our chat, Glenn, came alive with people sharing their favorite versions of Spock. I'm wondering if we can if we can read those out and Glenn might pick his second favorite besides Moody Spock. And that might be our giveaway. Um, Larry, what do you think? I think so, but I hope we have time left that I can do my part of the interview sometime. Yes, yes. So I just want to say, <laughs> folks, um, not, please. I'm not trying to compete on the mic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but let's give us this. your favorite example idea. of Spock if you haven't picked it alre- already. And we'll we'll have get, uh, Glenn pick the winner. Um, so I would almost read. Well, you can, everybody can see your example. I started to say I'd read some, but that might look like it's unfavorable yeah. advantage or whatever. Yeah. yeah. No, I, hi, Glenn. We've never had a chance to talk before, but I've, oh, I've been a chronicler of the behind the scenes and the, the canon side of things. And like I said, one of the surprising things about this was the meta of it. It's, it's about Spock, about mindfulness and, and your own sense of humor through here. But part of that is uh, the right, the writer coming through. I know enough to know, like all the script writers over the years, the kinds of things I would get to with them after we would talk about the surface story was there's some moments here that, you know, I, I chuckled out loud, if not an absolute laugh. So I wanted to ask you, you've, you've created some famous philosophers here from different uh, cultures and, uh, and named them. <laughs> and I was just wondering things like some of these names, like uh, the Vulcan philosopher uh, Sorvin. And the and the Grand Nagus Vok, I, I just <laughs> some of these names. And are are you drawing on something just from that created from this, or something from experience, or uh, some of your own? Are these old player characters from when you D and D Star Trek? <laughs> <Or> <laughs> I'm just curious about the origin of some of your narrative characters here. The Andorian Shorecore, yeah. Some of these some of these are characters I made up when I was six and um, wrote wrote my own stories about uh, in. Okay. in no, no. I, uh, some some of them are real um, referenced characters. Uh, some of the philo- obviously Vulcan philosophers have been referenced in the series. Right. But right. there was a couple of what happened was I actually wanted to use some real life um, wisdom in the book. So I wanted to take some quotes from real people, like um, Mark Twain saying, "I faced many troubles in my life, but most of them never happened." And um, <laughs> <laughs> it mean, you know, we anticipate and we fear things and most of them don't are never as bad as, as we think. But yet we kind of live through the fear. It's the old Shakespeare thing. A coward dies, you know, a hundred times before his death. But I, I wanted those things in there. So I discussed it. And um, it was people said, keep, uh, you know, keep the quotes in, but let's attribute them uh, right. so as not to break up the um Bake up the atmosphere, the science fictional atmosphere of the book. So, uh, there may be, it may be that one or two things I have completely made up the name, but, um, I wouldn't like to, I wouldn't like to admit to that in case, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, 
it spoils the book for anybody. But uh, we, we were, we were, we actually did ask for permission, you know, if we were allowed to do this kind of thing, because obviously the whole book's been vetted uh, by the um, by by CBS, etc. So um, right. if there had been a problem with any of it, or if any of those hadn't actually been Vulcan philosophers, I'm sure they would have pointed it out. Well, and just just for those wondering now, hopefully we've gotten a lot of people curious about this. No, I just everything from the names like the Ferengi politician Quig. I mean, some of these are great, but no, you <laughs> you you take a couple of pages to talk about. Hmm, and this uh, the Vulcan's tale of the second Lerpa has a close relative in the Buddhist parable of the second arrow. So I, you know, that's I didn't want to just raid the. Um you know, do a kind of Indiana Jones type raid on the wisdom mm-hmm. of the ancients and and, mm-hmm. and try and take all the credit myself. So um, I said, can we have a kind of attrib- attribution section in the back? Uh, yes. So the, I'm particularly fond of that, fa- the fable about the second Lerpa, um, which started out on humans know that tale as the tale of the second arrow. And it's like if you were walking along and someone fired an arrow in your leg, would you immediately take the bow off of them and fire a second arrow in exactly the same place? And it's a very good illustration of how if we get a misfortune in life, if we let that misfortune preoccupy us, we defeat ourselves. You know, the first arrow, you can't do anything about the misfortune, but you don't have to spend your whole time whining about it not getting on with your life. Um, you know, you don't have to fire the second arrow. So, yeah, things like that uh, to keep up the um, the style and the, the fun of the book, um, we've kind of gone and gone away and found a Vulcan version. Well, that's the in the in the that's the sneaky thing about this. I wasn't expecting. But yes, in the finest Star Trek tradition <laughs> of masking <laughs> everything in uh, Star yes. Trek and 20, you know, uh no, I just I just have to say I was really delighted that and then, and then you do have a handy collection for all the purists here uh, and it's like a two page index four page index where you actually get to the nitty gritty of citing the the chapter and verse of all the scripture that you quote right from Spock and right from the episodes so people can yeah so if people want going to go, crazy if people want to go away and watch the episode and see where the quote is in context they don't have to spend um, twenty weeks looking through every episode they can just go. Uh, Goes straight. They just have to go. They can go. They straight. do that anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, That's just I what we do. <laughs> I've, I've okay. watched the entirety of Next Generation in in, in lockdown uh, since March. Um, I've watched every single episode of Next Gen. I finished about a week ago. So uh, people really do do stuff like this. I'm, you know, I know I'm proof. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I think we all three of us have been doing a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here's last question. This just leaped off the page at me. Uh, you made some allusion to the guy that swaps out plastic rented office plants every three months. <laughs> that just sounds like it's screaming from something. <laughs> that just sounds like it has a story behind it. Do you know what? That proves to me that you really have read that book. I, not the entire one, but what I've read, I've read. No, but that, that yeah. fa- fact that you found that. Well, I'll tell you what is funny because uh, I do – you know, um, and I'm also a fan of Sherlock Holmes, and he says there is nothing so interesting as, you know, as trifles. There's nothing so important, and and it's these strange details that really sum up the society that we live in. And this was um, a couple of years ago in the office. I I was um, I was wandered through, and um, I saw somebody uh, taking down a pot plant from the reception, 
and replacing it with an identical copy. These these aren't plastic. These are living plants. Oh, okay. And um, there's like a company that that provide plants for um, for offices. Uh, and uh, so that these plants always seem to be in peak condition, the moment the plant goes slightly off, it's um, it's replaced with a with a duplicate. And uh, this is a it really is it's somebody's job to go around offices in London, replacing office plants with identical copies. And um, I just thought, what an incredible um, world we live in that this is considered um, sane normal behaviour. It's it's and, very I'm, uh, I'm, invasion of the body snatchers. <laughs> I, was, I know what happens to the. Is there a sort of sad world of of um, rejected plants somewhere? Uh, where do they go? What do they do with them? I mean, is there like a massive, um, you know, vault somewhere with all these slightly imperfect office plants wilting away, or do, do, do they take them somewhere and um, cure them? And um, I don't know. Anyway, but that is that is that, that really that kind of thing. But see, that person who has that job. Mm-hmm. They have their story. There, there might be a wonderful, wonderful dream behind the desire to fill boring office spaces with lovely plants. Right. Um, I'm, you know, I'm thinking poison ivy out of Batman might be behind it. It could be, <laughs> there could be a, some kind of evil mastermind behind it, um, or it could be some very I- idealistic um, projects. You know, so. There's there's a story there, but I don't know I don't know yet what the ending is. But. Yeah, the Sulu Foundation. No, I, uh, <laughs> no, as you as you wondered where they went, the first thing that leaped to my mind was the Island of Misfit Toys from the Rudolph <laughs> special. Yeah. Where do they go when they're taken away? Glenn, we yeah. know your your time is limited, and we'd love for you to pick the winner here. Um, so what what I'm going to do is I'm going to read off the different spots. There's a lot of there's a lot of them. And um, let us know which one. We could do a whole collection of Spocks. If we, you know, we could, uh, Hero Collector, we could do a whole collection of Spocks. Oh, yeah. Definitely a poster series, you know, or stationary or something. Oh, my gosh. That would be a a poster, like all the emotions of Spock, and and there you go. We could do Um, a move like the Into the Spockiverse, where Mr. Spock (laughs) meets all the other Spocks and um, in some strange, jazzy landscape of graphics it'd be great it seems like that's the direction that discovery is headed so i I think we would (laughs) we would love to see that so we've got shouty spock smiling in the cage spock oh sexy uh, spock mind melding spock tuna (laughs) melting spock sibling repressing spock whoa um checkmating spock one eyebrow up, Spock. That is a good Spock. Pawn far, Spock. Uh, bipolar huh. Spock from Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, animated Spock. Fifty foot Spock. <laughs> Maiden wine Spock. Uh, unification Spock. Ambassador Spock. I don't know. Those might be might be the same Spock. Double eyelid Spock. Yeah, that's um, a, that's a bit of a cheat where he suddenly says he's got a double eyelid. Right. I mean, why did he never mention that? Hi, oh, Glenn. You really want to go down that road? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, say that one an- again, Ollie. Say that one again. Uh, that was high on spores, Spock. Oh, Sibling well, yeah, denying that's, Spock. That's interesting. Um, Sorry, what was the last one? Sibling denying Spock, which I think we already had before. 
Yeah, he's got um, a lot of siblings for somebody who seemed to be such a loner. He's got a lot of family out there. Jailbreaking Spock, also from another Glenn. Um, Romulan... Did you miss, there's a Spock's relationship with his mother, Spock, and not a Herbert Spock. Not a Herbert Spock? Spock. That's a great one. Yeah? Yeah. Covered ears. So cool. Covered ears because Jim took us on a time travel adventure again, Spock. Oh, I've already said I like that one. Yeah, the covered ears, Spock. (laughs) This is going to be hard. Spock. (laughs) Contempting shaving Spock. Uh, Swimming with whale Spock. Colorful metaphor, Spock. Colorful metaphor, Spock. Did you get Romulan seducing Spock? (laughs) Yeah, we got Romulan seducing Spock. Okay, I didn't. Okay. Uh, Disinvited to dinner, Spock. The one time I smiled, Spock. Um, My gosh, there's a lot of them. Karate, Spock. Um, The Wrath of Khan, Spock, who shows more emotion in a subtle, subtle. Glenn, that's a long one. Um, uh, <laughs> Glenn said more than one. Not this Glenn. Uh, uh, Glenn in our chat. Glenn. Thirty-six months calendar Spock. Um, in two minds Spock, and that's it. That's a lot of them. Thirty-six month calendar Spock. I'm not. I'm not sure about that one. Um, I don't believe because because I don't believe there is a tuna melting Spock. I don't believe he ever did that. I'm not convinced about tuna yeah. melting Spock. Yeah. But I think I'm going to have to go, since I've already said how much I like um, Voyage Home, I think I'm going to have to go for Covered Ears Spot with the old headband. There we go. There we go. Um, we've got we've got a winner, 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 chicken dinner, if I can find the, I know, the person who said that thing. one. I'm rolling back. So, uh, Glenn, do you, are you referring to Covered, covered Ears because Jim okay. took us on a time travel adventure again, Spock, that one? That is the one. That is the one. Yep. I, I'm going to have to go for that one. Charlotte, you are the winner. Congratulations, Yay. Charlotte. Larry will get in touch so we can get Live the book out to you. Sorry, Live long and prosper, Charlotte. Live long and prosper, Glenn, thank you so much for yes, taking the time. Uh, we know this is important time for you and your family right now. We're cutting into tea time. So um, thank you so much. Best tea time, best. British tea time, not American tea time. That this means is all. You know how important tea time is in, in England. I mean, it's all we've got left. It's all we've got. Um, Glenn, how can people stay in touch and see more of your work? Well, um, I've got a website, glendakin.com. Um, uh, through there, you can see some of the other books I've uh, been, been working on, like we did one, the Quibbles with Tribbles, where we've put loads of uh, funny mistakes into old episodes of Star Trek, which you will find uh, hilariously annoying if, you, if you're a fan of uh, everything not having mistakes. Um I believe there is a copy of that book. Yes. So uh, you can find about some other stuff there. I'm going to be posting some of my own cartoons up there as well. Uh, so I guess through glendaking.com, but you know, like everything else, just Google around. You'll see I've done loads of crazy things in my life, written lots of strange books like Candleman and uh, um, fantasy adventures and cartoons. I've got a um, autobiographical cartoon character, Abe, who, who, uh, kind of is, is, is like a version of me and um so i i mean there's i've just wasted my life on too many silly things like to possibly <laughs> list them here but if you want to um <laughs> if you're interested in them i suggest that you uh have a look around yeah have a look around 
Well, thank you. Are so you much are you doing uh, Twitter or Instagram or anything? Um, yes, I'm on Twitter under my under my name, not anything fancy, uh, schmancy. So you'll see me on there, and it's been quite fun seeing people trying the Star Trek cocktails on Twitter. That's been fun. Mm-hmm. People have been posting cocktails and uh, saying what they think of them. That's been great fun. And, Kayla, uh, Kayla on Trek Movie did a great uh, video. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's been brilliant seeing these seeing people uh, enjoying them and having a go at them. And uh, so, yeah, Twitter, and uh, you can find me in all the usual places. And, um, yeah, what yeah. can I say? Well, good. Thank you so much. Um, give you, uh, give our best to your family. And, uh, of course, uh, live long and prosper, Glenn. Yes. Absolutely. Let's, Look let's, forward to doing this live sometime, Glenn. Great. And, <laughs> and uh, hopefully I'll, I'll meet you guys sometime. Yeah, uh, maybe next year or something. We'll, we'll be Can't back. Uh, in real life would love to make it so yes <laughs> nice right, to talk guys. to you thank you very much very for track well, being, Glenn. being great conversation thank you take care and we are back with Life Support Live Larry that was awesome yes that was so much it fun was. I wish not, I wish and, we had and, a, and nine months ago not how i thought our first guest would go but it was awesome i mean just the yeah. way i thought of you know envisioned how we would even who we would be having so yeah. and that door's still wide open but that was awesome i'm glad um uh so i i want to give a shout out here to 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 ian who um worked on star trek.com for years and years and uh oh no are we okay we're okay. That's not we me. We just had a disruption in the space-time continuum again. Was that was that you or was that just Skype deciding? That was to me. That was me. Okay. I pressed okay. the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> as long as we have it figured out. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so thanks to them for uh, they've done a huge. I mean, Glenn had the Quibbles book a few months ago. It's all relative to the same time, and these two now, and they're very deceiving, deceptively. I mean, like, oh, a cocktails book, that's fun. Just, guys, just so you know, I mean, these are like hardback books, and they're not... Um, they're, they're really they're great gifts. Uh, they're, they're, and um... Is, yes, and this, and the mindfulness book, I, I said it five times, but this is, uh, I'm on my way to 47, but it's really far more than you expect. It's not just your little pick it up in the checkout line type, you know, paperback. It's a hardback. And there's because I was expecting a couple of days ago to sit down and zoom through this and I didn't get all the I got a chunk of it done. But I was really surprised that he puts a lot of meat on the bones. You know, there's um, you read through it and you really under what really shines through is how much Glenn really cares about the philosophy, Mm -hmm. mindfulness and Spock. Like um, I I really stopped myself as a whole. Yeah. And Star Trek as a whole. I really stopped myself when I read that. Uh, that description of Idic because it was such a beautiful summary of what the concept actually means and how it's been shown in the episodes. There's, I have so many more notes I couldn't get to, uh, but there's, um, there's another section of the book that talks about the evolution of the needs of the many versus the needs of the one or the uh, needs of the few or the one and how Spock's relationship to that changes in Star Trek 2, Star Trek 3, and Star Trek 4, which when I thought about it, I'm like, wow, I never really thought about the evolution in his thinking. Um, it's just a beautiful book, Larry. It's um, I was really struck by how yeah, thoughtful it's it is. It's very deceptively, uh, it's, 
I'm so used to so many books, Star Trek and otherwise, that are just quickie little, oh, look, here's a little gift book. I'll get to somebody and it says Star Trek. The old, uh, they just slapped Star Trek on it and sold it. Yeah. That's not yeah. what's going on here. So, yeah. And his draw, I, I had it for a few days before I, well, who's the artist? Oh, it's him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it, you know what it reminds me of is, um, <laughs> uh, The Next Generation Season 8 and how that book came together just from a series of tweets and how that then later became this book. And then later, yeah. I have everything at fingertips. I don't know why that's yeah. happening today. Yeah. <laughs> and how that later kind of became Lower Decks. I, mm-hmm. I love that um, Glenn's idea for this book really came from just a series of uh, coffee conversations he had with uh, the folks over at uh, Hero Collector. Um, with Ben. Yeah. Uh, ben Robinson. Yeah, which, you know... Is on the sad side is another reminder of the kinds of things we could do that are really hard to do on Zoom. Although I, I there's people I know and a couple of them work on on the shows, they just have their Zoom on. I never think about Zoom being an all like a Slack channel, but a lot of people use Zoom like texting or Slack or something where it's just on all day, mm. and somebody comes mm. on and says, "Hey, we need to talk about this," and it's the next best thing to stopping in somebody's office or walking around the art room and looking at everybody's drawing board. I mean, those kinds of collaborative channels that we think of being shut down and and once again yay on you know humanity coming through in a crisis with the silver lining way of getting things done anyway but yeah as he was talking about that i was like that's where some of the best stuff comes from is those, yeah. those informal yeah. discussion yeah i mean and that's kind of where the show came from uh life support live mm-hmm. and i uh, we didn't have the time to get into it um given how and and folks you should know that glenn um not only was he in the uk but um this is this is his tea time with his family, and so when we asked him if if he could participate, he's like, "Yeah, sure, I'll I'll make the time for you all." Um, but he, we were cutting into his precious time with family, and so that right. was uh, it was quite kind of him to week before to join Christmas. Us. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, if we had more time, I would want <laughs> to talk about the relationship between mindfulness and making a big change, because a lot of people think of mindfulness as as feeling better but as glenn talks about in the book it's not necessarily about feeling better but it's about feeling more and it's about being more present and approaching things with with an open mind and um a lot of the examples of making a big change larry that you wanted to talk about actually this week are all about acceptance and approaching things in this open more mindful way um um, I, I have this list over here, um, where Spock is, um, is coming to terms with his feelings. Uh, Kirk coming to terms with his loss over his son. Um, O'Brien coming to terms with, um, with being on, on a, on this Cardassian station that doesn't really work. Um, Cisco, uh, coming to terms with, being in this emissary role, this role that he never asked for. Uh, Neelix coming to terms with his breakup. Um, there's so many examples in Star Trek of characters that are approaching things in a more mindful way. Spock is, of course, the biggest example, but there, there's a lot of examples here. I mean, we avoided, we, I, I only avoided Picard because there were so many. I mean, you had said, uh, Picard dealing with the XBs. Although I, to me, that was and more they, like, it wasn't even on the radar kind of accepting it. Not that he knew them and had, you know, had a, had a, but, <clears throat> um, Starfleet, it, Clancy and the, if that's a general attitude yeah. of Starfleet, 
coming to a change about viewing, you know, the the whole XB prejudice or whatever, the hate wave, whatever, was actually manufactured. So on one hand, yeah. you know, coming to grips with the reality behind a behind a propaganda wave that worked, behind a fake news wave that worked. I know this is behind the scenes too. You head down one of your topics for Glenn. Our interview was um, was mindfulness and uh, social media and the yes. whole fake news, the wave that we're in now, and about about what that. And we didn't get to that, but um, and he has a chapter. What was the chapter? Uh, the chapter on focus. Yeah, on focus. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's falling, um, and for, dis- we did- falling for disinformation and uh, being grounded. And as I always say, check your check your sources. He also yeah. has a chapter on um, on family, which I wanted to ask, if we had more time, I wanted to ask Glenn about what's going on with Sarek and all of the vault, like oh. the half brother, the adopted sister. Uh, why aren't they so open about this? Now stuff? I kick myself for not even bringing up Cybok in the whole thing. So, right, right, yeah. right. right. <laughs> but folks, um. We want to really open up uh, the hailing frequencies here. Yeah, we got. Um, yeah, you all have been I, so. I amazing. know there was a huge. I knew there was a huge chunk of chat that we were getting into having Glenn on, and there was a lot of meaty stuff happening, guys. I just want to say, and I saw somebody said, "Oh, here's where they're going to start ignoring us." <laughs> at one point, so sorry about that. We lost. Uh, I say we lost. We lost half an hour to dabble in chat, but I thought it was a great. Uh, 20 or so minutes that we had with Glenn. He, he was very generous with his time. Yeah, Jesse says, uh, more <laughs> Cybok, please. I I, um, <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever see. Maybe on Brave New Worlds? Maybe? I don't know. I don't know if we'll see Cybok well, again. Well, what we need I, to have like happen to. is we need to have some character come on to Discovery that's like a half-sibling. And then since, you know, I'm I'm bowing to the masses stereotype here. Since Michael's in every scene, <laughs> uh, we need to have her say, yeah, yeah, I had this uh, older half-foster brother. <laughs> we need to tell her to tell us a cyborg story in the time-honored tradition of Star Trek, you know, doing the metaphor analogy parallel story example from my life thing. That might you know, be his, coming. His, his father helped me get into the academy. You know, I mean, Discovery is definitely referencing aspects of canon that I, I didn't think it would be doing. So maybe, maybe we'll see that. Um, who knows, uh, Jesse? You might get your wish. They're feeling uh, more of their own oats. This is there's so much. We're only getting it in ten, twelve episode doses. But when you think about TNG starting off with, we can't say anything from the original series because it'll look like we're we're leaning on that, and yeah. they had to get all in their own skin. And some of that may be. Some of the same thing with Discovery. I mean, we're even getting it in smaller, you know, arc-driven, serialized doses that uh, it may take uh, even longer. Dan just yeah. said, uh, Brave New Worlds uh, is not, not not Strange New Worlds, Brave New Worlds. Thank you, Dan. Uh, Brave New oh, Worlds would be... very brave of you to admit your mistake. Well, that would be a very different series, Brave New Worlds. Heaven knows um, I never do that, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we are going to be doing a screening. We, we've had um, a few really good... Um, recommendations from folks about what to watch next i think libby recommended um uh <laughs> the wrong uh, story problem with tribbles no. and trials and tribulations the problem uh, with tribbles the prop what am i the trouble with tribbles thank you <laughs> thank you 
Someone's oh, lawyer is writing a letter. Okay. Oh, folks. Um, yeah. Um, there's also other things we could take on. Um, you just blew out my life. Ollie, that was so ridiculous. Okay. Whoa, what happened there, Larry? <laughs> that was not me. I did not do Battery. that. Battery. Yeah. Battery. Yeah. yeah. What, what a metaphor for, for really? how we're feeling today. Uh, <laughs> other folks have mentioned Star Trek Generations as a Christmas movie. I think because there's a Christmas scene in it. Um, <laughs> there's also, we could do Tapestry. Um, tapestry mm-hmm. is very much in the vein of It's a Wonderful Life. Um, and if folks have other recommendations uh, for the kind of sh- um, the kind of viewing you want to do, let us know. Uh, that'll be uh, we'd love to take more recommendations. We'll do a, but we'll do a poll survey. But yeah. we've got the top, we've got the movie, and then we need to find a date too as well. Yeah, so. movie or episode or episode. Um, yeah, well, yes, yeah. the type, yeah, yeah. The, the film thing. Yeah. But also, we need to figure out a date too. Um, yeah, and so are we'll you talking you about all. the week between Saturdays or what? Yeah, I mean, that's something we have to figure out. I, I think we want to do it at a time when most people are available. Um, and so we'll, we'll figure it out, folks. We'll, um, and we'll, we'll figure that out through your. A lot of people do have the week between, you know, I always call it dead week because it's the week the world goes away and lets me get stuff done like cleanup. But, um, not everyone has the week off, but a lot of people do. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that might be, that might be, uh, um, a good one for us. Um, Oh, because gosh. Because they're out the discovery every week. I mean, you know. So here, I am not taking your bait here. I am not taking your bait today. Um, sorry, my friend. He can't hook you, huh? <laughs> no, not today. No. Not today. The line must be drawn here. Um, and Karen where? says, Ollie, drink more coffee. That's what I intend to do. Um, this is this is empty right here. There's nothing left. Um, oh, I'm here. No- um oh okay um glenn says uh boxing day is when i tend to rewatch a great classic fights like ali versus foreman um well i'm a big muhammad ali fan um maybe that's the day you can watch ali versus larry too i don't know you can't get along with anybody ali i swear i know i know i know this is what led you to prayer yeah So, 2nd January, we'll be back. So, uh, does the day after New Year's have a special day in England, <laughs> like Christmas does? <laughs> um, do we have Unboxing oh, Day? Um, I think uh, Tim asked er- – you might know the answer to this, Larry. Tim asked earlier if you know where Glenn is from, what part of the UK. Um, oh, I mean, I saw that. I'm sorry, Tim. I meant to ask you. I'm sure it's in his wiki uh, biography, specifically what part of where he grew up. Yeah, I, I think we knew the answer to that, and I just can't remember right now. Might um, be in, a, in an email chain somewhere, but... Uh... Uh, a lot of folks are saying uh, thank you for the interview, um, so thank you all, folks. Uh, we want to do more of those. Yeah, could you tell that was our first time to... Uh, sorry <laughs> if I trumped over you a time or two. No, there. no, I, I think I was doing the same with you. I, see, the thing is, I was really worried about the time pressure. The t- they say time is the fire in which interviews In which burn. we interview? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we had a very Come limited on. amount of time here. But <clears throat> folks, as discovery ends and we kind of run out of new star trek we want to do more of those kind of things more deeper dives Mm -hmm. with uh folks 
in the Star Trek community around different topics. So if you like that, that's a little bit of what we are planning to do um, in the new year as uh, as new Star Trek runs out. So I hope I hope you all like that. Till we get and back Glenn, into a more animated stretch of time, yeah. Yeah, um, and Glenn, I, I I hope to resolve those issues with subspace as we get into the he new lives, year. Glenn lives in Cambridge. He went to school in Manchester, so I don't know where he was actually born and raised. <clears throat> but there you go. That's what we've got on the run. That's what we got, yeah. Um, Rose says 2nd of January is a holiday as well, and it's only uh, two weeks away, so... Uh, there we go. Um, the Brits. Is know this holiday, January 2nd holiday, have a name? It's Boxing Day 2? I don't know. I don't <laughs> I have no idea. This time it's serious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, this time it's for all the Latinum. <laughs> yeah, guys, uh, Victoria... we, just to let you know, we had a, yes, the idea of having more guests, Victoria. We've had an idea to do guests from day one. And yes. we started down that path, and we had to kind of retool the idea. But we, it was, I, I won't say it now, but we had a very, an idea of a very specific kind of guest. Yes. And then as the months have rolled along, and we've all been <laughs> trying to be mindful of how we make change and how we adapt to the situation, um, not so much adapting, but just being more broad minded and the potential of this awesome, um, platform that we have. So. Yeah. You know, this opportunity that we have. So anyway, so that was when Glenn came along and was like, oh, look, a mindfulness book. That should be perfect. And we can do our bit to help help the greater Star Trek along here. And I never met Glenn, so that was great to um, be able to at least meet this way. So, yay. And I dare say, I bet he didn't do, if he's doing any interviews, I bet, I don't know how many he's doing live. And I bet he didn't do any interview quite like that. So. Yeah. 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 Um. It's so good. Uh, so anyway, hope so, guys. Sorry, I feel like I haven't been interacting with all of you all quite as much as normal, but you understand. So I'm curious for our our UK folks. Um, Boxing Day is a traditional UK holiday, the day after Christmas Day. Nothing to do with boxing. How did it get <laughs> its name? Um, for a uh, ignorant American like myself, um, I have no idea what what it was. The corrugated cardboard industry. That was they just got it through. <laughs> like I know where like bank holiday comes from and I I know some of my British terms but I don't know where boxing day comes from. I, uh, it's, it's traditionally related to boxing <laughs> packaging. Is that true? Larry, I thought you were just making that up. No, I was I no, that's why, you know, all American holidays are due to Hallmark, so, you know. <laughs> Jared says, the day you take the boxes out to the curb, I, I feel like I'm being, I'm being ki- uh, <laughs> toyed with. I, this, it can't possibly. Jared is the old PhD of, uh, British culture there, yeah. Christoph says, America, it's have... boxing the returns, maybe? Folks, I, I feel like you're all toying with me. This can't possibly. That, which they have in the, in the States. Back when I used to live in Oklahoma, and that's all I had to do when I was single, I would go with family when they all returned their stuff the day after Christmas. So Yeah, yeah. They'd trudge out to Target, or they'd trudge out to Charlotte Walmart. says, this is why we have Google, which, uh, yeah, I, I could go Google this, but then um, 
this all would probably crash. Uh, I feel like this is so <laughs> unlike a normal episode of our show here because we we were so uh, we weren't on pins and needles. We kind of rushed the beginning that we normally would stretch out anyway. And then coming down from, I think Glenn blew everybody away so much in the whole the whole spectacle of our first epic episode here that everybody's just kind of <laughs> laying on the ground, wiped out. And uh, we're talking about Boxing Day. <laughs> yeah, uh, Cairo says the day after Christmas is a holiday here <laughs> as well, but we call it St. Stephanie's Day. Yeah, okay, cool. Stephanie? There, they have, we have, well, I guess there's female saints. Of course there's female saints. Right, right. I just hadn't thought of it or something. Uh, oh, giving gifts to mailman, milkman, mailman, milkman. Okay. Uh, oh, Galinda says you take old stuff you don't need and put it in the boxes you got your new stuff out of and you give it to someone less fortunate. You try to trick them into making them think they're going to get something new and then they get something old. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> So Jared did post a link to <laughs> Why is a Day After Christmas called Boxing Day. Jared, no if you one could can summarize do that, that right. for yes. us since we can't click <clears throat> on that link right now. Um, wow. Well, Larry, this has been... <laughs> <laughs> what a holiday lead-in this show has been, yes. Yeah, well, getting into the holidays, I should say... Um, I don't... Did we sing or do an imperson- impersonation at all I today? So. I think we had I our. Don't, I I don't have... think we did. Um, but um, you know, Larry, uh, getting into the holiday spirit, uh, and this being—is this our last regular episode before the new year? I think it is. What well, well, is? Yeah, screening. Second. Yeah, right, right. But this is this is the last normal. You know, while um, twenty twenty has been um, uh, nothing what I expected it to be. <laughs> One of the great joys of this year has been um, all the Star Trek and then also all the ways to share my love of Star Trek with you, with sure. everyone here in the community. You know, the year started with Star Trek Picard. We had Lower Decks. We have Star Trek Discovery. Um, and we've had Life Support Live. We've had so much Star Trek to enjoy and love and celebrate and debate and discuss and complain and, and and everything. So I'm so thankful to have you, to have this community, and to have um, this show that means so much to us to, to help us to bold to go. So, um, yeah, just want to share that with you, Larry. I was going to say, silver linings, <clears throat> that here we go. What would have happened in an alternate timeline if the pandemic had not happened? We mm. did our little panel at WonderCon, and, oh, that was fun. We should do more panels. You know, we should make this an annual thing and have that be our panel at WonderCon or something. And that would have been it. And we would have missed having all this interaction and some of the things you know, we, we just. I know it doesn't it may not seem like it, guys, but I still think with everything else going on that uh, in my world and in Ollie's world that I still see there's there's greater things we can we can do with our idea here. Yeah, and uh, with and with you all in our corner with us, um, and so, but none of that would have happened had it not been for the way 2020's timeline played out in yeah. the prime universe. Here, if we are indeed in the prime universe, so anyway, Who that's knows? that's something to be uh, to look back and be um, yeah, be thankful for, be blessed for. I should have done this in November, but uh, looking back at the year as a whole, that was in April that we've been doing this. Like so, nine months here, thirty six. This is our number thirty six today, yep. so not counting the special. 
Thanks for listening to the Life Support Live podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on this episode. I'm at Ali Matu on social media. And I'm at Larry Nimichek. Hey, if you like this show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It'll help more people to discover life support. And you can join the community at our Life Support Live Facebook group. If you'd like to learn more about psychology and mental health, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the psych show. And for a deeper dive into all things Trekland, like Portal 47, check out Larry Nimichek's Trekland on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, live long and prosper. Trek well, everyone. <laughs>